You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. I signal. Foster Care Nation, listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey. With Jason Noman today, she's off doing feedings and important stuff. And so today I thought I would bring on somebody to talk about politics. Right, Molly? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> Molly has an interesting beginning here, and uh, she's also an author of a book called Digital Detox. She happens to be a foster and adoptive mom, and she worked in the political arena for just a little while as a press aide to Governor Schwarzenegger, if I'm correct, right? That's right. All right. And we were talking just a little bit before this interview. And you mentioned something that just makes me laugh a little on the inside where you said you thought you would get out of that world and go raise kids and have it nice and easy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure anyone who's listening, if you're a parent, that also probably made you laugh, too. But, you know, those false notions you have about what parenthood's like before you actually enter the world, that was totally me. And so, yeah, motherhood punched me in the face for sure. Same with foster parenting, but it's the best kind of punch in the face, right? It's still a punch in the face. <laughs> you can tell by my looks, I've been punched a few times in the face, apparently. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, so yeah, you stepped out of that arena into a world where you don't get to sit down and eat lunch, where, where the bathroom door being closed and locked just means let's bang on it for a while, see if we can stick fingers and toes underneath it and harass mom all day long and see if we can't make her insane. 100%. And, Somewhere along that journey, you decided to also become a foster parent. Yeah, that's right. Was that before you had bio kids or after? Yeah, you know, my husband and I always knew that we wanted that that caring for orphans was going to be part of our our marriage. That was really important to us going in. And um, we we actually started the process to get licensed before we had biological kids. Um, and then, you know, the way life goes, surprise, couple surprises. And before we knew it, we had four kids in like five and a half years. And so we're like, you know what? I think um, I think we're going to stop having bio kids and we're going to keep some space in here for some foster kids. So, um, yeah, we had four kids. And then when our youngest was two, we took in our our first foster placement um, and it wound up being forever, actually, with that one. She's a special part of our family, our daughter. Um, but, yeah, we've had a lot of kids come in and out of our home since then. And from little ones, two-year-olds to teenagers, um, we have six kids right now that are ours permanently with the four bios. And then um, we just adopted number six this summer. Um, he's five and he's been with us since he's three. So it's never a dull moment in our house. That's for sure. Well, I have to warn you, if you don't pay attention, suddenly your house gets way full and they just keep showing up. Trust me. I know I, we're up to seven now. And I'm pretty certain we're not done at this point. I thought I thought we would be done when I was 41 years old. Our youngest son at the time was going to be 
18, no, yeah, he'd be 18 years old. Graduating high school, I'd be 41. We'd be moving moving on, empty nesters, have all the paycheck to ourselves, a clean house, nice furniture that doesn't get torn up. And let's just say I'm 45 now, and we've got a couple little ones in the house. So, yeah, I'm pretty certain I was wrong. I was really, really wrong. Isn't that so funny how that happens? I mean, I remember my husband and I said, you know, we're going to, we started taking teens and we said, you know what? Our, our social worker told us there's a, a really high need for teens. So we're like, well, let's just do that. We'll do short-term teens. We don't, you know, we don't need more kids in our house. It's just like, we'd love to offer that. And so let's do it. And then of course I get a call for a three-year-old and I'm like, well, we kind of said we were just going to take teens, but why don't you just tell me a little bit about him? And then that's when, you know, there's no going back. So they started telling me about this kid, which what's wild is that the social worker said, well, he's three years old. He's a really precious, beautiful little boy. And when he was two and a half years old, he was in a car accident and the accident killed his mom. And I got chills mm-hmm. because my husband was two and a half years old, riding in the backseat of a car, got in a car crash, killed his dad. So I'm like, whoa, okay, God, we're saying yes to this kid, 100%. So we said yes, and he's been in our family ever since. You know, I have a similar story uh, from just a few weeks ago. Um, we got a, a call from a social worker that one of our kids had a biological sibling born, and, and um, they needed somebody to come down to the hospital. She didn't have anybody visiting her, and uh, they needed somebody to come visit her. She'd been in the hospital for over a month at that point with no visitors, and and uh, so we went down there, and well, I went down there after work that day, and I, I got there and picked up this little girl, and, and they had said, you know, they this girl hasn't seen many, if any, human faces without a mask on because it's a hospital setting, and and NICU nurses are, are wonderful and all. I have no nothing against them, but they have to mask up for obvious reasons. They're in everybody's room, and so they told me when you go in there, when you go into the room, you can take the mask off. We encourage you to. She needs to see human faces. She needs to learn how to smile, how to be expressive and all this wonderful stuff. I said, okay. So I go in there and I sit down and I kind of put her on the, on. she's kind of sitting on my forearm and lean back against my upper arm. And she reaches around and finds my beard because all the little ones find the beard. And she digs her hands all the way up to my chin and she starts pulling. And I raise her because she doesn't have enough strength. I raise her up to where she stops pulling and she's right up beside me. And she turns her little face and buries her face in the side of my beard. And goes to sleep on my chest. Oh. And it's one of those moments where you just kind of look up and go, okay, heard that. Yeah. I'm clear. Yeah. <laughs> I'm supposed to be here today. You know, I'll just do what I'm supposed to do. And uh, yeah, we, um, she, she spent some more time in the NICU dealing with some health issues, uh, but she just came home with us, what, a week ago today. So she's been, been in the home for a week and, and a little guy's gotten a chance to meet his baby sister and he's so excited he could almost vibrate into pieces if he's if he keeps <laughs> as wild as he is but yeah, it's just it's it's a great thing and it's one of those moments where you're like yeah okay i'm where i'm supposed to be yeah that's beautiful so i i noticed you used one particular phrase that caring for orphans was something that was really important to you and your husband where does that come from um well that comes from for us it's our faith um we know that for, so we're Christians and we believe that what the Bible says, it says true religion is caring for orphans and widows in their distress and kids in foster care are in distress and they're for whatever reason, their parents are not able to care for them. Um, so we knew that was a call in our lives. We didn't know what it would look like. 
um, when we were dating or early marriage, but we just kept that door open, kept listening, kept learning. And um, foster care has, has blessed our family so, so much. Um, we've learned a ton. It's, it's the most humbling thing I've probably ever done in my life. Um, but just really good, really good to be obedient to God's call, I believe on, uh, and you know, you, you don't have to be a Christian, of course, to be a foster parent, but, um, for us, it's, it's just very clear that that's part of what an active faith is. You know, I was talking with somebody and I cannot remember what her name was right now, but she, um, I was discussing that with her and she, her and her husband had, had some similar beliefs and, and, uh, you know, I, I forget what I said, you know, something along the lines of everybody's, you know, not necessarily wired to do this, but, but we are in my house. And so that's what we're doing. And, and she says, yes, but here's the problem that I, I have with, with that idea. And I think she changed my mind a bit. She said, look, it doesn't say for all the people who are wired to do this, go take care of widows and orphans. It's a, it's a command to everybody. Now that may not mean bringing children into your home. But it means go help out, do something, be a part of the solution instead of being part of the complaining crowd. Absolutely. I totally agree. You know, not maybe not everyone is needs to be a foster parent, but everyone can do something. Everyone. There's something you can do to play a role. Um, these kids need us. Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent, because they may not need us to be here forever, but they need us for for the right now, at least. And, and that's, that's the calling that, that Amanda and I felt in our own family. So how, how long have you and your husband been married? We have been married for 16 years. Okay. So, so you guys have got some experience under your belt with plenty of kids and bio kids and, and foster kids. How many kids have you had come to your home? Um, that's actually a really good question. And I'm struggling to quantify that because we've had some, we've had a, several through foster care, um, and plus some that we knew through, I guess some people will call it like hidden foster care where these older kids, um, they've been running from the system, but, um, so they're not technically in foster care, but we've kind of been a place for them to come, um, while they're in between kind of couch surfing. So, um, I don't know exactly, probably overall, maybe kids wise, like a dozen ish. Okay. <laughs> Amanda and I sat down and trying to count the number here a while back and we've done it a few times and we always come up with a different number. So yeah. So I tell people somewhere between twenty five and thirty is what's come through our house, but but the memory fades as kids take away your brain cells and, right. and lots of kids taking away my brain cells. Oh yeah. So true. And then they come and go and you'll have a placement and it'll they'll move and come back and Yes, we, we've had a couple of them, you know, that look like they were coming back and that kind of stuff. So it makes it challenging sometimes to, to keep that number. I mean, because honestly, the number is not the important part. It's the fact that you do it. But but you've got enough kids that you've got a, a good taste for what this is like in your life and how it affects your family. Yep, absolutely. How have your bio kids walked this with you? Are they, are they okay with it? Is it something they struggle with? Yeah, this has always sort of been a concern um, I hear it a lot from other parents who are maybe considering foster parenting. It's like, how is this going to affect my bio kids? And one thing my husband and I landed on early on was like, gosh, as people of faith, we're, you know, we're less concerned about our kids, um, you know, having their feelings hurt or whatever. And we're more concerned with what if we don't 
do foster care? What if our kids hear us preaching about our faith, but they never see us doing anything about it? Um, that to us felt like a bigger risk. Um, and that said, the cost is high still. So when we, when we have said yes, and kids come in and out there absolutely is the cost, you know, um, with attention, you, you have, we only have so much, we have a finite amount of capacity as human parents. So if one kid is really high need for this season in particular, then your other kids aren't getting as much from you. And that can be kind of stressful and challenging. Um, but I've been so encouraged. We asked our kids um, a couple of months ago, we said, how many kids do you guys want? And how, what do you want your family to look like when you grow up? And all of them said, I want to foster, I want to adopt. Um, so despite all of the years of, of difficulty and having to, you know, sacrifice things and um, all of it, they all still want that for their own families. And my sons the other day, my older son said to me, they're like, could we take in another, like maybe another little boy? I'm like, guys, minivans full. All right. Like we are, we are at capacity for now. So, I mean, maybe when the kids get older and start to kind of move out, we would probably go back and consider doing teens again. Um, but for now we're, yeah, we're, we're pretty full. Well, just so you know, the Armada, the excursion, the suburban, they, they all hold eight if you get the right one. <laughs> Cause I, I have owned many suburbans and we currently own the Armada because I, Amanda had a, somebody hit her car here a little while back and, and, um, did a little bit of damage, but apparently it was enough to tweak the frame. So they totaled the car and we had to, we had to go out and find another car that would fit all these kids. And thankfully we got one that would hold eight and the Armada is the one we have now because it holds all those stinking kids. Otherwise so, we'd be in trouble. Wait, it holds eight kids plus two drivers. Yeah, no, no, no. Oh. It's, it's eight, eight people total. Six okay. Kids. So our minivan holds eight or holds eight people total too. So we're looking at if we add another kid, cause we've got six, it's like, that's 12 passenger van style, which I'm like, man, I don't know if I can get that thing around town safely. You know, my wife said the same thing about a suburban until she had one. And now, now I can't talk her back to a minivan. Okay. All right. (laughs) Well, I know we mentioned at the beginning, um, you have a book sitting right behind you. I can see the listeners can't unless they're watching this on YouTube, which I don't know if I'll have this uploaded or not on YouTube, but when they hear it, but your book is called Digital Detox. Now, you've got a lot of kids who are in that prime age range for wanting digital attention. So tell me about that book. I'm curious. Yeah, and you're spot on. They wanted it and they were wanting it for a long time and I gave it to them for a long time. Um, I think digital devices is the issue of today in parenting. It's like the biggest struggle. Um, digital entertainment, it's, it's just such a stressful topic, but I noticed that, you know, so my oldest was born in 2009 and, um, you know, I grew up playing video games. My husband did too. I'm, we were all about the devices. We're like, this is great. You can go to a restaurant and hand this kid an iPad and look, it's like a pacifier. You don't have to parent. And then people will reinforce it. Like, gosh, your kids are so quiet. That's so great. And you're like, oh, I'm doing such a good job. But then what all parents realize is you take it away time to take away the tablet and the kids lose their minds. It's like miniature hulks everywhere. And you're like, Oh dear, what have we done? Like what is going on? And so after years of letting them have all this stuff and seeing negative effects afterwards, I finally was like, gosh, I think that there's something wrong. I think, 
you know, I didn't know the science at the time. It was in the course of writing the book that I read all the research and the data and went, oh my gosh, there was a reason I was just seeing on the outside what's happening on the inside. But at one point I had just had enough. And this was three years ago. I had enough of the post screen time tantrums. I had enough of excessive sibling fights and the parent child conflict always about 30. Can I just have 30 more minutes? Um, can I please use my screen time? It's the, the boredom complaints, all of these things. And so finally, I just said, you know what? We're just going to pull the plug on all of it. We're taking it all away. And that didn't really go over very well with my kids. Um, between my husband and I, we kind of told ourselves, we're like, look, I can do this for two weeks. And my husband was all about it. He's like, look, this is a great idea. I'm on board. Granted, I'm the one going to the office. You're the one homeschooling two kids. You have two three-year-olds in addition to that. So if you want to take this on, that's great. I support you. Um, so it was not necessarily a good time. Um, and when we told the kids, you know, between us, like I mentioned, it's, I said, I looked at the calendar. We started in mid-February and I'm like, I can hang for two weeks like this with needing to like be a entertainment director for these children. Um, it's going to be terrible. I know it. And, but I didn't tell the kids how long we were taking it away for. We just told them and they lost their minds and it was very stressful, but the next morning rolled around and they knew not to ask. They knew it was not a non-starter. And so they just started playing with the toys on their shelves and they started playing with each other and they were in better moods. And I was scratching my head, like what the heck? It was like, we flipped a switch. Their moods were better. Like how, how did it have this much of a hold on them? Not just during and right after screen time, but around the clock. Their devices were impacting them around the clock. And I didn't appreciate that or know why until we took it all away. And so it completely changed our family. It was the best parenting decision we made to date. And um, it just changed our lives. So I wrote this book about it to help other parents do it. I Before I wrote the book, I started helping my friends with it. And then they all started saying the same thing, like, yeah, this this changed everything. So I started helping strangers with it online. And they're like, this is the best. And so I created this plan. I put it all in the book. I made it very straightforward, um, just enough research so you know why it works and what what it's doing to our kids' brains, but not so much that you're getting bogged down. You know, parents are busy. Um, we don't need Moby Dick. We just need like a how-to guide, very simple. Um, so that's what I wrote. And it's out there and it's been helping parents. It's called Digital Detox, the two-week tech reset for kids. And it's helping families. So I'm really encouraged by that. Now, can you convince my kids that that would be a great idea to take away all their digital stuff? Probably not. Um, but this is this is that hard parenting <laughs> thing where, you know, you look at your kids and you go, oh, they're, they want this thing so badly. And they also don't have the ability to see the big picture yet, like I do. And the part of their brain that helps them learn to delay gratification isn't formed yet. So I need to be that boundary for them. And now this is like a detox diet. Now we're not talking about removing all technology forever the end. We don't, it's not like a weird M. Night Shyamalan movie, like The Village, where you're like, you know, moving off the grid and you can't use your phones forever. It's not like that. The goal isn't to banish it all forever. The goal is to just put it in its right place. And in order to do that, you need to take it all away. It's like when you clean out a closet, you know, you don't just like handpick items. You get rid of all of it and then you observe like, what do I need? You take inventory and then you put it back. And there's actually really science to support um, this method. I didn't appreciate this at the time, but after doing the research, you're resetting your kids, the dopamine levels in their brains are these devices that we give our kids after school that they are reliant on, they're addicted to it. They're engineered on purpose 
to release excessive amounts of dopamine in the brain. And the brain is wired to release dopamine, that feel-good chemical, that neurotransmitter, whenever we experience anything pleasurable, um, going for a walk or hugging a loved one or reading a book, it's dopamine's released. But the problem with these devices is the amount of dopamine that's engineered to release in our kids' brains is so high that dopamine receptors are actually numbing out. So now we've got this addictive cycle where it takes more dopamine in order to experience the same amount of enjoyment that we once had from less dopamine. That's why your kids are complaining, oh, that's boring. When you say, turn off the devices, go play outside, they're like, that's boring. Or you say, go read a book. And they go, that's boring. Anything that doesn't involve a screen, if that's boring to them, their dopamine is, it's too much dopamine. They need to reset that. So if you think my kids aren't interested in non-screen devices, well, you get to develop an interest in non-screen fun and non-screen activities during your detox. So that's why you got to take it away for two weeks. Yeah, that would be uh, <clears throat> that would be quite the fight in our house, I would say, if, if we were to take it all away. I mean, are you talking about TV and everything? Yes, all digital entertainment. So now I, I should mention this is going to look, the approach looks a little different for young kids. I'd say 10 and under as it does for, you know, those 11 year olds and up. Cause those, those older kids are starting to get more autonomy and independence as they should, you know, they're moving towards 18. They're going to be flying the coop soon. Um, but for those younger kids, parents, you are the authority. You get to say, you know, what is allowed and what isn't. So, um, you get to, it's okay to say, Hey, we're taking a break from this thing for two weeks. You're not being punished. It's not because you did something wrong. It's because we've read this research that's showing this is what it does to the brain. It's actually, our brain needs rest from this sometimes. And so we're taking a break for two weeks. I know it's going to be hard, but we can do this thing. And I, I lay it all out in the book. If it sounds scary, it's because it is this conversation. Your kids probably won't respond positively to it. Um, but I, I break it down in the book, all the whys, how to break the news to them and what to fill that time with to set you up for success. Now, for those older kids, it's going to look a little different because they have more say in what their days look like, especially if your kids are kind of paying for their own devices. Um, it's going to look different. You need to frame it more like a challenge. You need to frame it more like something you're doing with them. You don't necessarily have to participate in the detox for your four, five, six-year-olds, just like you don't, if you tell them to go to bed at 7.30 at night, you don't also put yourself to bed at 7.30. The rules are a little different for grownups. But for those older kids, they're really watching what you do more than what you say. So so I recommend that parents of older kids, you choose a part of your own digital entertainment and you say, hey, I'm thinking we're going to try this thing for two weeks. It's going to be a challenge, kind of like a whole 30, or if you're doing like a sugar fast challenge, make it fun, up the ante, maybe throw in some cash. Like anyone who makes it two weeks, I'm putting this, we're putting this money in the pot. Whoever cracks first or whoever cracks last will get the pot of money. You know, make it fun. Grab some friends, family members. Um, see if you can get them to buy in. Ask them questions. Say, hey, do you ever notice that um, you feel kind of bad after you're on your phone too long? I noticed that in myself. Or read this article. What do you think about this? Have you ever felt ignored by your friends in a group when you're together, but they're ignoring you? They're on their phone. Tell me about that. What's that like? What do you think about this, this detox I've been reading about? You know, engineers in Silicon Valley, some of these tech giants, they do these dopamine fasts all the time. This is like, this is actually something that's kind of cool that people who know the most about this do. So, so really kind of a beckoning attitude towards our older kids. Younger ones, it's a lot simpler to just be like, this is the thing we're doing. And then as parents, we put on our big girl pants and we say, yes, I'm the bad guy. 
we're doing this thing. I'm going to have a great attitude. We're going to meet our kids where they're at. And we know that they need help developing these skills of what do they do when they're bored in real in the real world? Entertainment is not a great solution for boredom in real life. You know, real life, it can be boring. Doing laundry is boring. Going to jury duty is boring. Sometimes school is boring. And, and our kids need to learn how to um, how to develop sustained attention when their jobs or their schoolwork is a little tedious. And our kids, this generation of kids is being deprived of that. And I could talk about this for all kids, but for your audience and for foster parents, this is especially pertinent because kids from trauma, they need help with this more than anyone. Kids from trauma, a lot of the times have spent early childhood um, with excessive amounts of of adrenaline and cortisol, those stress hormones, their brains have been bathed in it. And now they're recreating, their recreation time is spent on these games and apps that's cranking up those levels of dopamine, or I'm sorry, not, well, dopamine too, but cortisol and adrenaline. And that's not good for the brain all the time. So you're really just giving them a break and helping them get reacquainted with real life. And most importantly for our foster, all kids, but foster kids in particular, you're creating windows of time to amp up that parental connection with your kids. And these kids need connection more than anything. And we know that as foster parents, we've seen it up close. You've watched kids transform over time with a a loving adult connecting with them. That's what they need. That's what their deepest heart's desire is. And so you're creating this window where it's, it's gold, the kind of nuggets of time you're going to get with your kid to connect. It's just, I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, I, I don't disagree a bit, and I don't have the uh, PhD to back it up, but if, if my memory serves right, that dopamine response is also one of the things that makes little, little addictions in lives like heroin and yeah. and meth and, and all that. It's, it's, the same, it's the same mechanism as what, what addicts people to, to drugs. You're absolutely right, and um, there is a neurologist who's a professor at UCLA, um, Dr. Weibrow, he actually endorsed my book. Um, he calls it electronic cocaine, these devices that we're just handing to our kids. And, you know, I don't put a ton of blame on parents. Something weird happened in like 2011, 2007, the smartphone came out, 2011, the iPad came out. And these devices were marketed to us. Like, this is how you get your kids ahead. Give it, give them these things early, give them often, and you're going to create these little rocket scientists. Well, we bought into the marketing instead of the research and data. Lo and behold, who were the strictest parents when it came to their own kids' screen time? The the people who created it. They said, yeah, this is great for your kids. Give it to them. They'll be so smart. Well, Steve Jobs didn't let his kids near an iPad. A lot of these creators, these brilliant Silicon Valley folks, they're, they're the strictest parents with their kids because they know what it does to the brain. They go out of their way to send their kids to schools without technology, to Montessori type schools and um, places where they kids learn how to think and to create and to explore the world. And then you use the technology as a tool. Technology can be a phenomenal tool. Um, my, my oldest loves computer. She's so interested in coding. She took a 3D design class over the summer. And, and, and I think that's fantastic. Like it's, it's great for our kids to learn these things as a skill. But the problem is if our kids are getting one to two hours of free time during, during the week, let's say, you know, school practice therapy, whatever they get. And, and they have one or two hours of, of free time to think, explore, socialize, shoot the breeze with mom and dad. 
And even if we're limiting their screen time to one to two hours a day, they're that's all the free time they have. So that's like 100% of their free time is spent sitting being passively entertained. And is that what we want for our kids? I mean, maybe someone's listening and they'll say, yeah, I don't mind that. But I think the majority of parents, when we just stop to think about it, we go, I don't want that for my kid. I, I don't think, I think the trade-off is too high. Um, and I think that I've been putting this off because it's hard to tell my kids no. And I, I don't, I fear the fallout of doing the hard thing. And I just want to tell parents, I just want to encourage you that getting, breaking your kids free from this and helping them kind of cultivate those gifts and talents they're naturally wired with, it's simpler than you think. And once you get past that initial kind of conversation and, and hard part, you will be blown away at the transformation in your kids. And I say this as someone who has done it with biological kids, foster kids, um, and I've helped foster parents detox their kids too. And they all say, this blew our minds. I can't believe I have different kids. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to need your address because I've got a couple of kids who are going to want to come to your house and have a conversation. <laughs> okay. After the two weeks, I would love, I would love to hear all their observations. And that's, what's important. Like we want to hear from our kids. Um, you know, it's not about shutting down our kids and their desires. It's about listening and empathizing with the things they're into, but also giving them all, giving them the information and, um, and kind of cultivating that honest conversation, that back and forth, getting to what's underneath, you know, well, why do you want a, a phone? Uh, my oldest last summer was asking us for a phone and we're like, yeah, that's, I totally understand. Why don't you write out for me and dad, like why you want a phone, like what you'd use it for, write it out and then present your case to us tonight after dinner, the little kids go to bed and we'll, we'll have a good conversation about it. Like come talk to us. And she did. And she made some of her points were like, eh, that's not a good point. But several of her points were like, great. Yeah, she's going into, you know, she, at the time, I think she was going into, I don't remember if she's going into sixth or seventh grade, but she was like, I want to be able to connect with my friends. We're like, you should connect with your friends. That's a great reason to want that. Um, and so we're like, well, how can we, how can we help her do that without handing her unfettered access to the entire internet, which we know is harmful to kids, which we know is causing a ton of problems. Um, and so we landed on a dumb phone. We got her the gab phone, which is strictly a, a phone and texting. You can even text pictures if you want to have that plan, but there's no internet access. There's no app store. And so we feel great having her use that phone. It's actually really convenient to facilitate pickups and things like that. But um, even she, that kid who complained that we were giving her this detox. She lost her mind a couple months later because we extended ours because it was going so well. A couple months later, she came to me out of the blue and said, hey, thanks for doing this thing where you you took it all away. I just I feel better. I didn't realize how much I would enjoy playing outside. My younger sons came up and they were listening. They're like, you know what? She's right. Yeah. Thanks for doing this test. I'm like, what? I, it blew me away. It blew me away. And they're not like these aren't like weirdo kids, you guys. They're like your normal Fortnite loving people like they love all the things. And so, and as I mentioned earlier, the goal isn't to banish it forever. So, so the first half of the book is about the detox. The second half of the book is about creating a long-term plan where technology is working for you. It's in its right place um, because that's the goal here. So um, for our family, our long-term plan looks like, you know, video games aren't inherently evil. So my, my older kids enjoy them and we let them use it one day a week for an hour um, and it's only on the weekend so that we're, they're not um, just wasting away those precious hours during the week. It's working great for our kids. We're constantly reevaluating that. If they they come to us and they're like, gosh, my my friend wants to play right now. You know, we we take it in stride. It's not about legalism. It's just about 
making it work for us getting back in the driver's seat. Well, as you're talking about this, I'm over here thinking, hmm, I can't be a complete hypocrite and do this and then just keep on where I'm at. And then immediately my brain says, oh, no, you need that. Like I've got, a, I've got a podcast with a Facebook group and a Facebook page and I have to be able to respond to that and work sends me emails sometimes and, and text messages and all the things. And I have to be able to, to respond to that. There's no way I could do this. And as I hear that, I also know that, that number one, that that's probably some of my own dopamine addiction speaking. Um, I've had my fair share of experience with, with, uh, with addiction in life to know that yeah, uh, I, I know what addiction feels like when it, when it creeps in. And number two, part of that's really, really valid. Like, I can't just tell my job, sorry, guys, I'm not going to be on a phone. I'm not going to have any email. You can't send me email or text messages for the next, you know, two weeks or, or a month or whatever. That's going to be a problem in my life. So how do you, how do you work through that? Because as you mentioned, these teenagers are going to look at you and, and even my younger ones. I have a seven and a nine-year-old who are going to look at me and be like, that is some hypocritical BS, Dad. <laughs> and because it, they, they've got that trauma story in their background, they're a little bit more mentally speaking, like teenagers at a younger age. So how do you how do you walk through that with your kids? Yeah, that's your spot on. That's a really important question. So, and that actually presents a really great opportunity to talk this through with our kids. Um, you know, we don't want to let good be the enemy of perfect here. So the last chapter of the book is actually about looking at mom and dad's technology and kind of sorting through that. I detoxed myself later. We, I didn't do it at the same time my kids were doing it. And you don't necessarily have to, like I mentioned, if your kids are super little, but this is a great opportunity for a conversation with your kids to say, look, I want to get some skin in the game with you, but as I'm parsing out my tech use, you know, if I put my laptop in a, in a safe for two weeks, I'd get fired. My boss would not be cool with that. Um, I use, I even use a lot of uh, parents I've talked to, um, photographers, especially they use social media for work. That's how they advertise their business. So it's not always feasible to take away all of it. You can't necessarily, um, do that as a grown up when your work is there. And this is the great conversation with our kids to say, look, the older you get, the more integrated our lives. We're living in a world where it's just, it's integrating with technology more and more. And so we just want to parse out, like, where is technology a tool? Versus where are we using it as like digital candy to kind of like escape and numb out? And where can we kind of trim the fat? So um, you can kind of clarify that with, you know, digital entertainment. It's a, it's a detox from digital entertainment. Um, that's why it includes TV. That's why it includes YouTube and gaming and all of that. Um, my oldest kids that we detox at the time were actually uh, homeschooling and their math curriculum was on the computer. Well, guess what? They still did their math for two weeks, but that was it. It's, it wasn't digital entertainment. So, um, you know, parse it out. And so if you're, if you're trying to figure out how to do this as an adult, you can say, well, gosh, I need to be on social media because that's how I, you know, I run this group. For example, I run a group on Facebook too, for parents, I help them going through their detoxes. So you can create parameters for yourself and hash this out with your kids too. It's a beautiful thing to kind of pull back the curtain and say, look, I'm figuring this out too. And I'm trying to um, not be enslaved to these things also. So what I'm kind of thinking is, you know, I go on in, in 10 minutes in the morning, I check and respond to messages. This is what my detox is going to look like. I'm not scrolling for fun. Okay. I'm not, I took away mindless scrolling. So I get 10 minutes. It's on the computer. I'm taking it off my phone for the two weeks. So I don't, it takes away the temptation. 
Um, you know, maybe it looks like that for you. Um, maybe it's like, yeah, of course I still need my email. Cause that's how I work. That's how I talk to your teachers. That's how I do, you know, or I do banking on my phone. I can't put my phone away for two weeks. Um, but these are good conversations to have with our kids. So I think they're going to be really receptive to it. And I think you might be surprised. I mean, our kids, our teenagers, they're really smart. And once you start kind of having these conversations, if you bring humility and not like an iron fist into this conversation, you will be shocked. Um, the teenagers we've had in our home have said positive things about this approach. Now in California, you can't take away a teenager's smartphone, um, a foster kid when they come into your home and, and probably for good reason, because not all foster homes are great foster homes. And so they need a way to contact the outside world. But we had one placement who her phone died the first night she came to us and she was a teenager and she was kind of stressed out about it. We're like, well, I'm like, hey, here's our landline, you know, call whoever you need to call. And then she just hung out with us and she went from super high stress to over the course of the next day or so, she was kind of opening up a little more and she left. It was actually a really quick placement. She left and she found me on social media, like a week later. And, and she just went on and on. She's like, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I don't know why I just want to hang out with you guys. Usually I just go in, go into the room of wherever I'm staying and I don't even like interact, but I don't know what was different. Like, I just wanted to be with you guys. And I'm like, I know exactly what it was. It's that you didn't have <laughs> access to your smartphone. And that's what it was. I mean, it, there wasn't anything uniquely special about us. It was literally peanut butter and banana sandwiches and going for a walk and having basic conversations. It's like the same tools that we've had since the beginning of time as parents. It's just the removal of the numbing out neck mechanism. And I still keep in contact with this kid. Um, but we had another teen who told us first couple of days in replacement, she didn't bring a phone with her. And she said to us the first day, she's like, do you guys like not watch TV? Like what's going on? And I'm like, oh, you know, we just find that everyone's in a better mood if we only do it at the end of the day together as a family. This was after our detox. And she's like, all right. And after a couple of days, she came to me and she's like, you know what? I feel so much better when I'm hanging out outside, hanging out in the kitchen with you and only watching TV. It's weird. I, I just feel better. And I didn't even ask her. So, you know, don't, the science is there guys. If you're a parent, you're listening, you're like, well, my, that wouldn't work for my kid. My kid's doing, yeah, that's the addiction. That's because they're, that's because they're addicted to their devices. And what you're doing in the detox is you're breaking that addiction. And now you're taking away this filter and you're helping cultivate their gifts. You're helping give them skills they need for the real world. You know, as you mentioned that, I'm thinking through my own life and how that would look in my life. And I think the part of me that, that kind of starts to push against that is it means that I have to get up out of this chair and go do things. And I don't get to sit down and just and just relax. And to be honest, part of that struggle for me is is health. Because I the doctors don't really know for sure um, if I've had a bunch of strokes or a handful of strokes and MS on top of that. Mm -hmm. So I deal with some, some pain and, you know, chronic body pain, that kind of stuff. Some days it hurts to get up. Um, some days I have a weird body that, that has a lot of strange stuff and I go visit the chiropractor. I haven't seen him in like two months and I went by today and he went, holy cow, old man, you're barely walking, <laughs> you know, because, and then he beats me up and I swear he enjoys it. Um, but, uh, by the time he, he throws me out the door, I'm walking again, decently, I would call it at least. But yeah, there, there's a lot of that, that chronic pain stuff. And that keeps me from getting up and being active a lot of times. And I know that part of that is it's real physical stuff. Like 
I have an MRI that has stuff on it. They can see it. It's there. And part of it, I think, is that I'm so used to just sitting down and doing something in front of the computer or in front of the TV with the kids because it's just easier. Yeah, I totally get that. And, you know, I, I want to be sensitive, too, to parents like like you or other parents who have health conditions that make it so you can't be running around all the time. Um, you know, I will say my husband and I, I guess two summers ago, we got COVID, that strain that was like, you know, knock you on your butt, sleep all day. And we were just in our room and our the kids were watching TV like all day because we couldn't and we were trying to keep our distance and all that. So, you know, please don't hear that, um, that it's always bad all the time. You know, sometimes there are situations in which you've relied on it because you had to. I want to just encourage parents that you may be surprised if you try this detox and this is what blew our minds about it. You're thinking, well, now I'm going to have to be a helicopter parent. Now I'm going to have to entertain my kids all day. No, that's actually not what happens. What happens is, well, your kids might require a little bit of help on the front end, getting them started on these activities. By the end of your detox, they're going to learn so many new ways to keep themselves occupied, um, skills, talents, interests that they're going to learn like, well, this is what I do when there's not a screen available, that you're actually going to have more time where you can kind of get your stuff done or, you know, take some me time if you need to. My kids play longer now. They'll go outside and they'll like start a game of soccer or make up a game that they play. They made up the cutest game yesterday. And my husband was like, this is the best, you know, um, and they do that because they're flexing those muscles of how to troubleshoot boredom without being passively entertained. And we we think mistakenly as a generation of parents, well, our kids need this. And you look around, you're like, oh yeah, you look at your friends. They're like, yeah, our kids need this. No, they don't need it. It's just that everyone around us is doing it this same way. And so it feels normal to us. But when you try a different way, and I'm encouraged because I really am seeing change. I feel like this generation of parents were looking back at the last maybe 10 or 15 years and we're like, gosh, mental health problems are through the roof. Wall Street Journal just put out a couple of recent uh, pieces about in the wake of COVID, like our kids' mental health, it's just, I mean, it was already a problem before COVID. And then when social media and everyone's locked down, like girls are developing eating disorders, the ER visits for eating disorders for our teen girls, 12 to 17 doubled over the course of the pandemic. ER um, visits for tick disorders that where it looks like Tourette's and they're like, oh, these kids must have Tourette's. Those those tripled since the pandemic. Okay. And so the researchers started looking at this like, what is causing this? this is weird. Well, that disorder wasn't Tourette's. It's actually just a tick disorder. That's like the social contagion that the, the doctors looked at. It, they said, oh my gosh, this is actually caused by mental health problems and TikTok. So doctors are just prescribing, stop going on TikTok and here's some therapy. And the, these problems resolve themselves. So these are medical, medical professionals are prescribing, like get your kids off social media and parents, we have so much more influence and authority. We're just kind of leaving it on the table. We're just not taking it. We're not using it. We're not wielding it. And so um, I just want to encourage you that you have more influence on your kids than you think, and you can really change their lives. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned TikTok. <laughs> I'm pretty certain that one particular app is making our world dumber by the moment. <laughs> just my personal opinion. I okay. Can't... Yeah, I feel you. 
And I don't think it should be on TikTok. There's so much garbage. But also, like two years ago, maybe I'm in a writer's group, like an author's group. And one of the coaches said, like, you need to get on TikTok. It's like the fastest growing social media. I rolled my eyes so hard. Like, gosh, are you kidding? So one day after the kids went to bed, I'm like, let me check this out. Two hours later, I am like bawling. I'm laughing so hard. People on the internet are so funny. And I have even saved and shared like appropriate TikToks and showed them to my kids like, you know, dude, perfect. And those are, they can be so funny. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry. I kind of, I kind of like jumped on you when you said that I kind of cut you off, but anyway, good and bad. It's not, not necessarily, you know, you can't paint it all as evil, but yes, unfettered access to TikTok for young children is not good. It is not a good thing, but there are also really funny people on TikTok and it's, it's fun to share the good parts with our kids. We just kind of need to crank up our parenting right now. It, it, parenting right now is a lot harder in this realm than it was not the same. You know, our parents could rely on filters on the television. Unless you subscribe to certain channels, kids couldn't access porn. And now you hand your kid a laptop and they're in their room. How is a laptop safer than a smartphone? Like you read about their kids younger and younger, they're getting exposed to pornography. And this is a real health concern. I mean, you if you're a person of faith, obviously this is not okay. Um, but even aside, there are secular reasons why, why pornography is so harmful to our children um, and, and adults even. But but we got to just be a little more nimble here and a little more, um, have more conversation with our, conversations with our kids. Uh, but I would just encourage you, you can do this if you're considering it. If you're like, I don't know, maybe we should try it. Try it. You will not regret it. I just want to get rid of TikTok out of my life because I think my daughter is concerned for my, my eye health because every time she says, I saw this thing on TikTok, I pull a muscle in that eye as I roll it. <laughs> and it's completely involuntary, I found. But <laughs> And I know she sees it because she says, Dad, just because it's on TikTok doesn't mean it's wrong. I'm like, mm, maybe, maybe, but yeah, some, some of the stuff and you're right. Some of it is incredibly entertaining and some of it is, is appropriate and funny and entertainment, but at some point too much entertainment is not good for the human brain. Yeah, you're right. Recipes. There's some good recipes on TikTok. Oh, I but, know. I've eaten a lot of food from TikTok because my daughter likes to, likes to go try and make those recipes. It's so fun. They've got such good stuff. And, you know, we have one kid on a special diet right now. And it's like, you can follow these people and they're, oh my gosh, I just saw a short video of how to make all these delicious foods. But, but yeah, if it's as grownups, if this technology is sticky for us, if it, if we feel like sucked in, like how must, how much worse must it be for our kids' brains? Their prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until they're 25. So they don't have the ability to delay gratification and set those limits for themselves. They need us. They actually really, they need us to set those limits for them. Yeah. I'll be honest. The last couple of weeks I've toyed with the idea of just taking Facebook off of my phone and only accessing it through the computer because it's so easy to click on one thing and look up 20 minutes later and realize you're in a mindless scroll and you have been. hundred yeah. percent. I, in the last chapter of the book, I, talk about when I did detox myself, I did it with a couple of friends. And one of the things I did was I would allow myself on in the morning to, you know, post something because I'm an author and I like to post there. Um, but I wouldn't go on it throughout the day. And I was giving my little girls a, a bath. And usually I would use that time. They're all settled in. I'm sitting there watching them. I grab my phone and pull up Instagram and I realized, oh, there's nothing fun on there for me now. So I put my phone back down and I started chit chatting with them. 
And it was a beautiful, magical moment. I realized after I got them out of the bath, I'm like, gosh, I would have missed out on that sweet interaction that I got to have with them. And the problem now is that, you know, all those in-between moments, I think back on my childhood, I had the best relationship with my dad and we would do all kinds of random stuff together. He would take me to, he loved to golf and he'd take me to this golf course for breakfast on Sunday mornings and just to eat at the clubhouse. It was like, you know, greasy breakfast fare, but it was so good. And we drive out there and it nothing super fancy or special, but it's the quiet moments on the way to the golf course. It's sitting over a meal and, and then driving home. And those moments now, if you copy pasted that into 2022, those in-between moments of nothing are filled with a device. And so Whereas a previous generation, the mind wanders, the kids share a weird thought or a funny observation, and we kind of get to riff together, parent and child back and forth. We don't have those. We're, we're robbing ourselves, our families of those moments. And that's how our kids build connection. That's how they build resilience and trust. And that's how they develop into secure, sufficient adults, because they know that no matter what, they are fully known and fully loved. And our kids aren't being fully known right now because they're not, you know, if it's not a kid with their face, it's an adult with their face and their device. So we can fix it. There's a lot of doom and gloom on this topic, but I promise you the fix is really simple. And you hear about like Washington, DC, all these legislators trying to get together and collaborate on like, how do we fix this thing? It's a problem. They all agree. Oh, too much technology is a problem for our kids. Well, I was kind of paying attention to this last fall and they're like, well, yeah, we'll pass this legislation. So now we can sue these tech companies. Now parents can sue them if something bad happens to their kids. They're like, yes, we did a you know great thing. And I'm sitting here as a parent going, wait a minute. So we're going to, as parents, we're just going to wait. This is the solution that we're going to count on is that after the damage is done, we can sue tech companies for the damage. Like, no. Parents, we are underestimating the kind of influence and impact we have right now in our homes, in our car rides, you know, in the nitty gritty of our day, we can take back the parental authority that we have just put down and we can set those appropriate limits. It starts with a two week detox. I know it sounds hard. You can do it and we can put it in its right place. You will change your kid's life. Well, I, I love that idea. I love that idea. It's um, I'm certain plenty of the other listeners are just like me sitting here trying to think, Hmm, would they kill me in my sleep? They might <laughs> kill me in my sleep. You know, but, but then again, they, they also know who pays for the Wi-Fi in the house and then the right. Wi-Fi would go away and then be out of luck. So I hope that, I hope they're forward thinking enough to realize that, that they'll never get it back if they don't, uh, if they don't let me live long enough to, to give them some of that space <laughs> back. <laughs> yep. That's the kind of dark joking that, oh, that really only foster parents can do with each other. But I completely, completely hear what you're saying. And I would also just, you know, if you've got those older kids, one trick we use too is we set the the um, Wi-Fi restrictions. You can set those at the router. So we had some some foster teens staying with us um, for a while, and we noticed that we weren't detoxing them because, like I mentioned, you can't you can't really take away their phones. But at six o'clock, we would turn off their Wi-Fi. We would set turn it off for their devices. And oh, what do you know? At six o two, they would come up into the kitchen and be like, "So, what are you guys doing?" Um, and they would hang out with us and we're like, they didn't say like, oh, weird, my wife stopped working, but it's like, you know, if they can't numb out, they will hang out in the kitchen and that's the good stuff. Especially if there's boys involved, you'll always find them somewhere close to the kitchen. Yes. So true. 
and that Wi-Fi trick, you know, router, that's super powerful. And a lot of the newer um, routers that they have have an app on your phone that you can control it from 100 miles away. I mean, I have been 100 miles away when I had a kid who was on the phone and he was kind of losing his stuff and starting to act ridiculous. And, and I'm talking to him with my little headset on and pushing a few buttons. And next thing I know, as soon as I turned the Wi-Fi off to the one particular device that he was playing with, you know, the... the Oh, it was an Xbox, I believe. And within about 30 seconds, again, I'm sorry, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a powerful tool, but nobody tells us that's available a lot of times, and we don't even think about it. But the truth is, is I pay for the Wi-Fi. I get to choose who uses it. It's all mine. Absolutely. There's no state law in Missouri that says I have to offer my kids access to the Internet. No. Absolutely. You're, you're, you're right. And, and parents feel empowered to, to take that back, um, put it in its right place. We're not trying to cut off all of our kids. Also, this is an important thing too. During your detox, look for opportunities for your kids to hang out with their friends more in person. We're not trying to cut them off from their friends. We're actually trying to increase person to person interaction. So kids today are actually spending an hour less face-to-face interacting with each other per day than kids in my generation. And that's harmful to their mental health. Um, When you're hiding behind a screen in a group text or whatever, you're going to be ruder to people. You've probably noticed this. A lot of drama unfolds in these group chats and social media because you don't have to look at the person's face when you're saying something rude. And that's where, where empathy comes in. And that's what makes us human is looking at someone, um, and seeing how they receive what we're saying and kind of responding in kind and caring for people. So, so make opportunities and and tell your kids that on the front end, look, I'm not trying to cut you off from your friends. I actually want you to spend more time with your friends. I want you to spend more time with me. Um, we're just kind of taking out the middleman. Um, so let's plan a couple of times. Like I want to take you guys to the trampoline park or, or whatever. Let's fill this time up with fun. I'm not a a no person. I'm a yes mom, you know, but, but yes to the good things. And this is only two weeks. And I want you to feel like you've got some wins in here too. I love that Molly. Thank you so much for your time. If people don't find your book, where, where all can they find it at? Yeah, you can find it pretty much anywhere books are sold. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. Um, it's on christianbook.com. You can, I've got links on my website, mollydefrank.com. And actually I've got some freebies for you if you order it. If you order the book, go to my website um, and you enter the code that you got on your receipt when you bought the book. Um, I have tons of free stuff. Like for example, how to convince a skeptical spouse. A lot of times one parent is like gung-ho on this idea and the other parent's like, nah, man, I'm good. But so save yourself the marital strife. I made a PDF for you. You can just hand it to them and see if I can convince them. Um, Also sample scripts. How do you break the news to the kids? This is the hardest part of the detox. I wrote up some samples for you varying by age, how old your kids are. Um, Go download that. Help. You don't have to say it exactly, but hopefully it gives you some ideas. And then um, I've also got some ideas there for like uh, family dinner topics. There's one for every night of the detox. Um, tech free dinners. What are you going to talk about? What are you going to do? Some of them are funny. Some of them are fun. Some of them are serious, but go get those freebies. I made them try to make some tools for you guys to get through the time and actually not just pass it, but really enjoy it. And most parents do find that it's a really enriching time that they enjoy. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I'm looking forward to, uh, to trying to get up enough courage to tell my kids I'm turning screens off. (laughs) You got this, Jason. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm glad you were able to show up here. Thanks a lot for your time. 
Okay, Foster Care Nation, thank you for listening to Molly's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you would like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have a Patreon account where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. The links to everything is in the show notes in your podcast player. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled Studios. Studios.